Hello everyone and welcome back to the Lifting Club podcast. I'm Jazz and I'll be bringing you fitness education with practical application. So today I'm going to do a Q&A episode. Um, big apologies, I missed yester- uh, yesterday's, last week's upload. I did move house, I moved to London. So it was quite a busy week, um, lots going on. So I thought everyone will understand and I'll just pick up with it again this week. Um, so I thought I'd kick back off with a Q&A episode which I always really enjoy and I think it's good to get your input and, and hear what kind of things um, you'd like me to talk about and, and what kind of support you need there. So let's just dive right into it. So the first question is, I've been lifting for three years and would like to test my one rep max but I'm scared of injury. How can I do this safely and on what particular exercises? So this question requires a bit of a disclaimer or kind of like preface beforehand. There's no possible way that we can completely assure someone that they're going to be able to totally avoid injury ever. Um, The nature of exercise means injury is always a possibility. Um, And of course, there's a good few things we can do to reduce that risk. That includes having good technique, being well-practiced and just like competent at the skill, being sensible with the loads and the weights we lift and having good concentration levels and focus. But if we wanted like a guarantee that we wouldn't get injured, then we just have to not train or never play any sport. Injuries happen and oftentimes they're random. When it comes to the one rep max discussion, I'd say that, you know, if you're lifting loads that are too heavy for you, then there is a higher risk of injury. So the nature of this question is that maximal loads might increase your risk of injury. So just to get that kind of out of the way, no coach, no one can ever say do this and you'll never get injured or whatever it might be because there's always that, whatever kind of percentage it is, there's always that risk there kind of in the background and lifting maximal loads, especially if you don't know what a previous one rep max might have been or whatever, I guess that may be increasing that risk. But with that out of the way, I guess the first thing I'd ask is, you know, why we'd want to know your one rep max and what's the kind of purpose behind doing it. You know, of course, if you're a powerlifter whose sport is lifting heavy single reps on the squat, the bench press and the deadlift, then you need that information and they do a lot of training around that, etc, etc. But single singular reps aren't actually a very good choice for muscle building at all and if that's your main goal you know hypertrophy then you'll probably only want to be dealing with loads that you can do for around you know five or more reps anyway so I guess it might be just cool to know what's you know your one rep one rep max and certain movements but aside from that it just probably doesn't matter that much if you do want to know an estimation for your 1RM, then there are plenty of like calculators online where you can input a PB with a weight and um, a number of reps that you achieved, and it can produce an estimation for your one rep max. So that's an option. But let's say with all of that knowledge, you still want to do it. Then part of your question was which exercises to test. And we know that the traditional strength metrics are going to be the squat, the bench and the deadlift. But really, it's going to totally depend on which exercises you care about. So some are probably safer than others. For example, with a hip thrust, you you either lift it and get that full lockout or you don't. Whereas something like a deadlift, there's a lot more room for kind of form breakdown and things like that. 
I'd probably advise against doing a one rep max for something like an RDL. It just doesn't make sense um, and it's not very sensible. Again, I'm, I'm trying to think of other examples, but I just don't know why someone would want to test a 1RM for like their dumbbell shoulder press or a lat pull down or whatever. Maybe something like a barbell overhead press could be a good one to try. But my final piece of advice would be if you are going to do it and you've chosen the exercises you want to test, make sure you know how to fail those movements safely and ideally have a spotter. If you're going to be pushing yourself to the absolute max like that, you know, dealing with the heaviest weights you can, then especially on a movement like a squat or a bench press, you've got to know how to safely fail the lift and ideally have someone to spot the lift that's going to help with that. Okay, next question is hip thrusts with or without a booty band. In general, if you're in a gym environment with plenty of access to load, I'd recommend without. Having the band around the knees can definitely increase that sensation or burn or feeling. But in reality, having to abduct, abduct, um, which is basically, you know, that pushing your knees out against the band has been shown to reduce our ability to perform hip extension, i.e. push the hips up at the same time. So I'd much rather someone trained hip extension with a, with a thrust and be able to do them as heavy as they can without being restricted. And then if they want to train abduction separately, you know, do that with a separate movement, like a standing cable hip abduction or something. Now, there might be some situations where it could be useful. Um, For example, with a beginner, when we're trying to get kind of buy-in for someone that's new to lifting, it's rewarding to feel that burning sensation and feeling. It might also be good for a beginner as kind of a physical guide if their knees keep collapsing inwards or something. So we can use it as a good teaching tool for them to keep their knees pushed out against the band. And finally, if someone is restricted in their access to load, so perhaps they kind of train at home or an apartment gym, so they can't do a heavy thrust. And so adding that kind of abduction component of having the booty band can be good as kind of an added extra challenge to kind of progress that. Um, Like I said, I see why people like the band because of that feeling or sensation or burn or whatever you get. Um, So I feel my glutes more, but we just have to remember, and I'll keep saying this until I'm blue in the face, that the burn and the sensation isn't always correlated with a better muscle growth stimulus. Next question, what shoes are best for lifting? For upper body training, this matters less. We do need a solid base often to be able to kind of drive the feet into the floor and provide that kind of external bracing or stability. So any footwear that you feel allows you to do that. But for lower body training, it does matter quite a lot. Our aim is to be solid and stable and be able to transfer maximal force through the floor or the platform evenly across the foot. Now, something like running trainers or or workout trainers that have padding or shape on the sole, they're not going to be a good option to this. It's a bit like standing on a mattress. It's going to be unstable and often our padding on on the bottom is going to transfer the weight forwards into the toes. So your first option is socks only. Um, Please don't be barefoot in the gym because that's just bad etiquette and it's just gross. But socks, you know, take your shoes off and just wearing socks, that could be a good option. You can transfer your weight nicely, weight spread evenly across the foot in that kind of tripod position. Next option is going to be some kind of casual shoe with a flat sole. So 
Vans or Converse or Chucks um, are a good example of this. They're nice and solid and stable. They've got that nice flat base. I've seen quite a lot of Nike blazers recently, but I personally wouldn't like that kind of restriction around the ankle because they come up higher, but that might be preference. And finally, we have gym trainers that are designed for lifting that have that flat, solid sole, such as something like Nike Metcons or Reebok Nanos, etc. Another question we have here is, do squats make your core blocky? In short, no. Um, the muscles of the core are working really hard isometrically during squats, i.e. they're not shortening and lengthening, but they're, they're contracted in that one position to stabilise the lift. To make your core wider and more of that blocky shape, you'd have to be doing a lot of weighted core exercises to build the muscles both to train the abs, so flexion of the torso, you know, the rectus abdominis, the six-pack area, but then also training the muscles at the sides of the core, like the obliques, and you'd have to be doing a lot of movements that loaded that and took those through a full range of motion, getting them contracted and lengthened. You know, maybe if you're doing a really high volume of heavy squats, there might be some bit of stimulus for the core muscles to grow. But aside from that, it's really not something I'd worry about. And final question. I want to lose 10 kilos, but also gain muscle. Should I do a small eight week cut and then reverse or just reverse? So I've got an episode of the podcast called Bulk or Cut First, and that'll be a really good listen to help you make your decision but the reason why I actually chose to bring up this question was because of the use of the word reverse. Reverse dieting is a term that is so overused in the fitness industry and I actually feel like a lot of people including coaches don't know what it actually means or understand the science or lack of science behind the claims that they make about it. It, It's just seemed to be marketed as this magical thing and it's confusing for people I really think a lot of people are confused um we can't just reverse calories up which basically just means increasing calorie intake and magically our metabolism increases and we can increase our maintenance levels the only way to build your maintenance calories is to either gain weight so fat muscle um be a bigger person because having more mass and size means that the body uses more calories per day I know everyone likes to talk about how many more calories you'll burn a day if you've got more muscle, but that is also super exaggerated. It's quite actually quite a small difference. But, you know, if you were to gain five kilos of fat, then your maintenance levels to maintain that new higher body weight is going to be higher. So being a bigger person, having more mass to you, um, whether that's fat, muscle or a combination, your maintenance calories will be slightly higher due to that. Or your other option to increase your maintenance levels is to burn more calories per day because we know it's this energy balance equation. So we've got these two sides and it's about the energy outside, the amount of calories you burn and the energy inside. And when they're balanced, when they're even, that's when you're maintaining. So if you burn more, then you can eat more to balance that out again. A reverse diet is when someone is at the end of a diet. So they are in a deficit, they have dieted, they have lost body weight and they are at the end of that. And the reverse diet is a process of gradually building calories back up in this kind of small stepwise fashion towards their maintenance levels. So whilst they're reversing, whilst they're coming out of building up from the deficit, they're still in a deficit, just a smaller one. If they're still losing weight, even though some food has been added, it's because they're still in that deficit and they haven't got to the maintenance levels yet. 
So for you, the, the question asker, you want to lose 10 kilos, but you also want to gain muscle. So you've got three options. Option one, go into a fat loss phase by being in a calorie deficit. Option two, stay at around maintenance levels so you'd maintain your body weight. Option three, go into a calorie surplus. They're the three options we've got. Your body can build muscle in all three of those circumstances. Muscle building is easiest in a surplus when we've got more energy around. We've got extra energy in a surplus, so it can be put towards training, performance, recovery, and it can be put towards muscle protein synthesis. And then next is at maintenance, so it's not as optimal as being in a surplus, but we've still got a good amount of energy that can be used to build muscle. And it is the most difficult for the body when we're in a deficit because there's less energy around, less than we need. And so muscle building is going to be harder. It's going to be definitely still possible, but it's going to be slower. Someone that's a bit newer to lifting, their chances of building a good amount of muscle in a deficit are a lot higher because any weight lifting and things like that, that's like a big brand new stimulus to the body. So you can be in a deficit and probably gain a decent amount of muscle as well if you're a newbie to lifting. Now for you, if you want to lose 10 kilos, being in a calorie surplus is probably not the best idea because even though it's the optimal position to kind of build muscle, we also accept some fat gain with that too. If you stayed at maintenance, you're not losing fat because maintenance means you are at maintenance levels. You must be in a deficit to lose body fat. If you stayed at maintenance, your body would be in a decent position to build some muscle. So you could do that. If you went into a deficit, you could lose fat and you could gain some muscle too, just at a slightly slower rate than if you were at maintenance or in a surplus. And just one final note, um, you mentioned there, should I do a small eight-week cut? You almost definitely won't be losing 10 kilos in in a small eight-week cut. It's going to take a lot longer than that, and it's perhaps going to need multiple fat loss phases, so that's just something to note. But as I said, check out that previous episode, should I bulk or cut first? And that might give you a bit of insight and, and things to consider when making your decision. So that was the final question for today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are interested in working with me, I'm an online coach. I offer multiple different services to help my clients reach their health and fitness goals, help them lift in a safe way with great technique and become stronger and develop physiques that they're really proud of. So I'll leave my website in the description below so you can check that out. But as always, if you've got any questions about what I've spoken about today, just drop me a DM on Instagram or send me over an email and I'm always happy to help. But for now, thanks a lot for listening and I'll speak to you all again next week.